Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Keep your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at God's Word together. Now, there's, there are a few sports that I get excited about, um, but this was kindergarten to year two athletics carnival. And me, being a teacher, tug-of-war was my allocated sport. So I stood there, and I coached and I refereed and I shouted at the top of my lungs, pull, 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 and gave pep talks to these kindergartners half my height. I told them about, you need footing, you need strength, you need to pull together. And the team that that won didn't have to have the strongest people in them, but what you guys need is kindergartner unity. You have to pull at the same time. You've got to keep the same footing. And thankfully, my class became the undefeated champions, thanks to my uh, unbiased coaching. United. Is that what non-Christians see when they see and look at the church today? United, together. Is that what people would describe us when they look at Alive at Five and Springwood Wimberley Presbyterian churches? Are we pulling with the same breath? Are we pulling with the same footing? Are we all pulling together in sync? What does it mean to be united as Christians? And I think those three things that are crucial for tug-of-war are the very three things that are crucial for the unity of Christians today. The same breath, the same footing, and pulling together in sync. So why don't we pray and then ask God to open his word for us. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, You are three in one and dance in a divine dance of interweaving unity. Sweep us into your three in oneness, we pray. Amen. Now, I'm a swimmer and and I'm told it's the same for those who run, although I don't know why people would run because it feels like death. For swimming and running, you need to have consistent breathing. When I'm doing yoga or Pilates, uh, I'm always finding that when the instructor says, breathe in and breathe out. Whenever they say breathe in, I'm breathing out. And whenever they say breathe out, I'm breathing in. You think that breathing, a task that we all do every single day and every single second of our lives, we would be very good at it. Breathing is central, isn't it? And this centrality of breathing, the idea of breath, air, wind, is at the heart of the idea of the Spirit of God. 
in Hebrew and Greek, they're the very same words. And when we get to Acts chapter 2 this evening, when we look at this at Pentecost occurring at, uh, in a Jewish feast, there's a rushing of wind, of air, of life, that came and filled the entire house where the disciples were. And then we see in chapter 2 that verse 3, tongues of fire um, were upon their heads and they were filled with the Spirit. And all of them, verse 4, began to speak in tongues just as the Spirit gave. It must have been an interesting sight. The wind, the air, the spirit, the fire, the life sweeping into that room. And what were they saying? Verse 5, they were staying there in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And what did they hear? When they heard the sound, the crowd became came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in their own language. Aren't these people from Galilee? But they say, how is it that we can hear our native tongues? Parthians and the Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamians and Judeans and Cappadocians and Pontius and Asians. All these people hearing their own language, their own tongue through the Spirit of God. When I mentioned the word tongues, you might have an image of chaos, of uttering of disorder and disarray. But here at Pentecost, there's seemingly chaos. But what did that do? It wasn't a babbling that divided, but it was a breath that united. All the different tongues drew different people together to hear one thing. Everyone heard, verse 11, the wonders of God in our own language. Everyone heard one thing, the wonders, the mighty works of God. The babbling here appears to have reversed the babbling at the start of Genesis 11. It's a passage we read earlier, didn't we? At Babel, people were scattered with language, and here at Pentecost, God's people are gathered again with different languages. It's a whole reversal. Pentecost is an instance of seeing God bringing his people together through extraordinary spiritual power. And throughout the book of Acts, as we look at it, we're going to continue to see people filled with the Spirit, sometimes uttering tongues and sometimes not uttering tongues. So I don't think tongues is a necessary criteria for this filling of the Spirit. But in this particular moment, in Acts 2, God's Spirit is powerful and decides to regather the nations scattered at Babel and bring them together under one spirit and the one God. We at Alive at Five 
are of different nations and different cultures, but we are united because of the simple fact that we all have the indwelling spirit within us. Now, you might be a bit cautious and unsure when we talk, come to talk about the spirit of God. How do I know the spirit is within me? What does it look like to have the spirit? Well, are you a Christian? Are you a believer in the gospel and Jesus Christ? Do you live by faith? Do you live in repentance? Do you trust in God? Do you believe that Jesus said he will send his spirit to those who follow him? If your answers are a resounding yes, then the same spirit, the one that was in Pentecost, is the same spirit of God that is in you, making you more like Jesus, and the same spirit that is speaking through you God's message to everyone around you. The spirit might be a mysterious subject and move in mysterious ways, but it never it should never escape our vocabulary or thoughts because we live spirit indwelt lies. But the spirit doesn't speak about itself. It's always about the other members of the Trinity. In the very passage today, when the Spirit caused people to speak, everyone heard not about the Spirit, but verse 11, the wonders of God. The Spirit should never escape our vocabulary, but it should not dominate our vocabulary either, because the Spirit testifies to God. The first thing we see in Acts 2, is that a united people of God are united in breath, in spirit. In the tug-of-war of life, we are united in the same breath, the same spirit that breathes inside of you and speaks his word to you and through you. Another sport that I used to play uh, was volleyball in high school. And one of the positions that I played was the libero. Now, if you don't know volleyball, uh, the libero was the short guy on team who was always the backcourt receiver. Whenever you, you would rotate in for the backcourts, you were the last defense as a libero. You had to get to the ball at all costs. Wherever the ball goes, you had to know where it was going. You had to be there and position yourself there. And there are so many times that I would get the ball smashed into my face. And with the libero, your footing is extremely important. At first, I'm not the best person with foot-eye coordination. If you, if you watch me walk, I'm always looking up at the sky and I'll trip over most of the times. And at the, in, during my first couple of years playing libero, I would sprain my ankle quite a bit. Um, but footing is very important, not only in libero, but footing is very important in the unity of the church. What is it that we are standing on together? What is it that we're standing firm in? When we look at this passage this morning, uh, this afternoon, 
the crowd hears the different tongues and they're confused. Verse 12, what does this mean, they ask? Some say they must be drunk. So Peter stands up and delivers the first piece of teaching of the early church. He tells them in verse 14 to verse 21 that what they are seeing is not drunkenness with wine, but a filling of the Spirit, the very same Spirit that was promised in the First Testament. In the book of Joel, he quotes from verse 17 to verse 21. What is said before is coming to pass. And then he hits it home. If you've got your Bibles, have a look at verse 22. Peter says to them, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, caught freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Verse 33, verse 32, God raised this Jesus to life. Verse 33, he is exalted to the right hand of God. And verse 36, therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, to whom you crucified, both Lord, King, and Christ, Saviour. Throughout the centuries, this sermon will be the same sermon preached. Jesus Christ crucified, dead, Resurrected, risen, exalted, Lord and Saviour. For 2,000 years, over and over and over again. And it doesn't get boring. It's the same message that we speak, we say, to men and women of Australia, men and women of Springwood and Winmalee, men and women of Thailand, Russia and, Australia, and America, Hear these words. Jesus is both Lord and Saviour. And what was their response? Verse 37. Have a look with me. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And that was you, wasn't it? When you heard this message. We're very much like these people. We might not have been there physically to crucify Jesus, but we in some part or another in our lives, happily cast God from our minds, 
we killed him in our heads to be kings and saviors of our own lives. This same God who we crucified in our lives is risen, mighty, and reaches out to you. What shall we do? Well, be cut to the heart again. Be cut to the heart with this message of grace, of the cross, of death, of life, of salvation, of forgiveness of your sins, of glory, of transformation, of hope. Repent. Just remember how this message once touched you or is touching you now. Because at the root of Christian unity is the unity of the Spirit and the unity of the Gospel of Jesus as Lord and Saviour. We need to have the same united footing in the good news. We need to remain firm-footed in the Gospel because they are your shoes. Don't let them go. Because once you do, you'll slip. And it's not just about slipping in your own moral failure, but other people's eternal stakes are at risk as well. There is too much at stake to let your footing go. Let all the house of Winmalee, Springwood, Sydney, Singapore and Kathmandu know that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, that we crucified, Lord and Christ. It's a message that we need to wisely proclaim to friends and family. It's a message that we need to bring to them, that needs to be contextualised but not distorted, simplified but not dumbed down. And it's a message that, as we're going to see, that is not only said, but lived out. It's a message that we just don't dump in a tract, but in personal relationships. Peter speaks through the ages and says, Save yourself from this crooked generation. Within our fallen generation and people, we need to show them a, their fallenness and ours, cry with their sorrows and their hopelessness, and show hope through the gospel in both our lives and our words. We need to be united in this footing of the gospel. A church that I used to go to, we had lip sync battles for church camp. Now, for those of you who don't know what lip sync battles are, it's where you play a particular pop song and then either one person or a group of people would then lip sync to the song and do like a music video performance. Now, it's one thing for a person to lip sync. Um, it's another thing for 30 or 40 people to get it right at the same time. Because the most important thing about lip syncing is that your lips have to be in sync and your movements have to be in sync or else you'll look like a bit of a mess. 
And the same thing goes with tug-of-war competitions. You have to be in sync. You have to be together. You can't be pulling at the wrong time and you can't be standing still at the wrong time and you can't just take a rest in the wrong time. You've got to do things in sync. And the final image that we see at the end of this chapter of what the people of God look like is that they are united in sync together in living out of God's gospel. Have a look with me in verse from verse 42. Uh, verse 31, 41. Those who accepted this good news were baptized and about 3,000 were added in their number on that very day. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe with all the things that they saw. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their possessions and goods. They gave to everyone in their need. And every day they continued to meet together to worship in the temple. And they broke bread and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And the Lord increased their number every day. Christian community. It's a bit harder than you think. I used to live uh, in a Christian community at Bible college. And at first I thought, wow, it's, it's, it's church camp every single day. And then after a couple of weeks, I realized... Oh, it's church camp every single day. People don't wash up after themselves, you know, they don't clean up after themselves. And then there's passive aggressive notes that are left for people to do some stuff and people leave their doors open and their lights on and they don't air out their rooms. In close-knit community, your selfishness and my selfishness is exposed our complete lack of other person-centeredness is exposed. Gossiping occurs as people get closer. And so when the people of God, the first Christian communities, met together at the end of Acts 2, when they lived in close proximity with each other, I don't think it would have been easy. Um, it would have been hard it would have needed a lot of humility, sacrifice, and love. It would have needed a lot of gospel in living it out. And that's what gospel embodiment looks like. And to the outside world, it was a powerful thing. Back then, the Emperor Julian, the Roman Emperor Julian, wrote, It's a scandal that the godless Galileans, the Christians, care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. Christians in the first and second century looked after the poor, the weak, the underprivileged, but not only their own, but those that were not of their faith. During times of plague, they were the ones who buried not only their dead, but the dead of other people. This early church, however broken and hard it was to live a gospel life, challenges us, a broken group of people, to continue to take seriously what it means to follow Jesus and live gospel-saturated lives.
if we're united with the same spirit and the same message, are our lives embodying it? Are our communities becoming it? What does it mean to earn what we earn and to do gospel good and to do godly justice and mercy for those in need? What does it mean for you to have the time that you have and share it to those in the community, not only to those who can give back, but to those who can never give back? This is the sharp end of the stick, where the rubber hits the road. Do people see us living gospel lives? How exclusive are our friendship circles? Do we neglect the fringes? Do we show favoritism? Imagine what it would be like when we embody the message of the gospel of God to those who will never give us anything back. Imagine what the world would say and see if we loved so deeply those who hate us, those who disagree with us, and when we work together as a community of gospel embodiment. And maybe don't imagine, be, lest you stand before the throne of God and he says, you've spoken the message well, you've led Bible studies well with precision, you've preached every Sunday and you did Sunday school and you tithed, but you didn't love those who were the least. You didn't offer your friendship to those who were poor and marginalized. You pushed away those who were weak. And for the lonely, you smiled, but just walked past. And God would say, whatever you did to the least of the, my, your brothers, you have done upon me. Don't imagine. Be. Springwood Wimberley Presbyterian Church, alive at five. Pull. Pull with the same breath, the same footing, and pull together. Pull with the same Spirit of God that empowers you. Pull with the same footing in the Gospel. And pull together in sync as a Gospel-saturated community. Pull. Have we forgotten to pull? Well, now's the time to join in. Let's pray. Father, Son and Spirit, you are three in one and dance in a divine dance of interweaving unity. Sweep us into your three in oneness. Father, guide us to see your work in your world. Son of God, Guide us to speak your word and of you to your world. And Spirit of God, unite us on your work in your world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit we pray. Amen.